Morning, everyone. Great to worship with you. Let's open our Bibles to Revelation. Chapter 22. Um, last sermon in Revelation. And I, I wanted to thank you all uh, over the past year plus that we've been going through this book. Thank you for opening your hearts. Thank you for opening your minds. Um, uh, it's, it's a big undertaking, not just for me or those preaching, but to hear it, to listen, to enter into a book that's not easy to understand. And so uh, i just seen God working in you all. That's one, been one of the biggest encouragements to me, is hearing back from you how God's worked through this book. So I just want to thank you for being good hearers of the Word. And uh, not that everything I've said has been 100% right or good, but... Uh, Thank you for your open hearts and minds, and I know it's been a journey, and, and we come into hearing this sermon series with preconceptions and experiences with this book, but I hope it's been helpful. I hope it's been good and encouraging. So we're going to move on next week, kind of have a one-off sermon, then we'll be in the Gospel of John over the holidays, which is John 1 through 3. We're going to just walk through those three chapters, and then following that in January, we'll start the seven deadly sins. So if attendance dips when we start that, I'll know why. We'll see. Let's read um, Revelation 22, 16 through 21. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we give you thanks for being with us through this book that you are still speaking today, that, that from the Father, in the Son, by the Spirit, we are hearing from God Almighty. This is God's work. This is your work. And you have shown up, not just in word, but in power. And we pray that you would fulfill that promise today, O Holy Spirit. We know that you are among us right now. We know that you are working, convicting, encouraging, changing, transforming, saving. We pray there would be new life among us today and that the new life that exists would be cultivated, watered, and it would be growing to be more like Christ. That's our prayer. So have your way with us and in us today, we pray, O oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen. This last section of Revelation, including what Matt preached on last week, is an epilogue. Uh, in literary form and terms, it's a conclusion. It's a final word to the reader. 
uh, things that he or she, the author, does not want you to forget. They want to leave you with something that sticks. So what is it Jesus doesn't want us to forget? I don't know if you noticed this little phrase in verse 16. Look at it with me. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. For the churches. We heard it in chapter 1, and he doesn't want you to forget. This book is for you. Not mainly scholars. Not mainly end times YouTube channels. Not mainly basement bloggers who shouldn't be writing anything. It's for the church. It's for you. I mean, that, that's, that's Jesus' heart right there. It's for you. This little preposition, epi, which we translate as for. You could translate it as in or to or among the churches. In other words, the book of Revelation is meant to live in the church. Among God's people. Not out there. In academia or in entertainment, it's meant for right here. It's not meant to intimidate you. We've been saying this over and over again. I can't understand this. It's too difficult. No, it's meant to encourage you. Everything is going according to plan, guys. 100% because Jesus Christ is in control. It's not meant to scare you. Well, it's scary images. It's meant to embolden you. My soul is sealed. I am protected. I will endure to the end. It's not meant to discourage you. Well, the world is so terrible. Oh, it's just going to hell. It's just all evil out there. No, it's meant to inspire you. It's meant to lift you up. By God's grace, I'm going to make it home. I'm going to make it to the new Jerusalem. Nancy Guthrie says it this way. The study of Revelation is about so much more than nailing down how to interpret it. The goal is to live it, keep it, obey it. The goal is patient endurance. The goal is to overcome the world's pull toward compromise and apathy and idolatry. The goal is to one day hear our names read from the Lamb's book of life. That's the goal. It's important how you interpret it. We talked a lot about that. We try to interpret it well on its own terms. But it's not just about getting the right interpretation. That's not what it's meant to do in your life. And all of Scripture is meant to do something in your life. And, and I was thinking about it. You know, Jesus went through a lot of trouble to get this book in your hands. Testimony from the heavenly court. That's what it is. Heaven. Okay, there's stuff happening. There's words. In the throne room of God in heaven. That's happening. Then Jesus, he sends angels. He, he catches John up into heaven. He, he shows him visions. He says, write them down. He writes them down. He preserves them with 99% accuracy to John's original manuscript, original hand, all the way down 2,000 plus years later. You think that's an accident? That's the Holy Spirit superintending over history, over the Bible, the canon, everything. 22 long chapters. And, you know, especially as a preacher, they are long. It is long. 
I've got like 3,000 commentary pages under my belt. It's a lot of words. It's a lot of stuff going on. Why does Jesus go to all that trouble? Why does he go through all this? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. He's caring for you. He knows you, and he knows that you need this book. He knows that you need what's in it. He knows you need to know the plan and character of God through this book if you're going to endure and not compromise and not walk away. Because this world is filled with devils and evil and sin and hard stuff. So lean into Revelation. That's my charge to you. Lean into Revelation for the rest of your life. This is not the end, guys. This is the beginning. The beginning of learning from this book, of knowing God through it, of studying it, of being changed and transformed by it. We're a little more ready for Jesus' return than we were in September 2022. Amen? Praise God. All right. Four concluding thoughts today from Jesus, who seems to be speaking here. I'll give them to you as we go. Number one, Jesus is real. Jesus is real. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The Greek is ego eimi. I am. I am. Meaning, first and foremost, I'm God, in case you missed it. I'm Yahweh. I am who I am, Exodus 3. But then Jesus connects, after saying I am, his divinity to his humanity. The root of David. The star of Israel. He's dropping Old Testament references that connect to his humanity. Isaiah 11.1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Isaiah is saying, Israel is going to be mowed down like a chainsaw going through a tree. All that's left is a stump. And they were. But then surprise, from that stump, there's a green shoot. That's the Messiah. That's the branch. That's Jesus. From his life, death, and resurrection, the kingdom of God will become a tree that fills the whole earth. Not just a little stump, but will fill the earth. He also drops Numbers 24, 17, Balaam. You guys remember this? He prophesies, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star, Jesus says, a bright morning star, shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab. So a warrior king will come out of Israel to defeat all your enemies. Why does Jesus identify himself this way in the epilogue? Why does he draw our attention to this? I, I think he wants you to remember that he's real. There's a temptation every day in your life to believe other things are more, are more real and ultimate than God. Your sin, you feel it. Evil in the world, you see it. Problems, suffering, pain, you experience it. And there's a temptation to think, my goodness, this must be ultimate. Like it, it, it fogs up your eyes so you can't see Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no, 
I am a real person. I am a historical person. I'm not just God way out there somewhere you can't see. No, I entered into time and history. I have parents and grandparents and great-grandparents going back and back and back all the way to David. Therefore, you can live with hope. I am flesh and blood. Two of my daughters are going through uh, apologetics in the youth group. That's what they're doing this semester. And uh, one of them came home after a Wednesday night and um, started peppering me with questions, apologetic-type questions. You know, well, how do we know this? And, all right, you say that. Well, how do we know that? And how can I know that's true? And, well, what about these people over here of a different religion? They think this, and why are we right and, and they're wrong? And, you know, at the end, she says, Daddy, you know I'm not really asking you these questions. I'm, I'm just, you know, playing the part. I, I know. But it's okay if you would, and if you did. And I tried to answer as best I could. I gave her, you know, my best shot at it. But then I said at the end, what it boils down to is the person of Jesus. That's what it comes down to. If we're right, it's all about Jesus. That he is a real historical person. If he was born as a human being, God was born as a human being, lived a sinless life, died on a cross, performed miracles, was raised from the dead, game over. It's over. If that's true, and we have every historical and logical reason to believe that it is, you cannot argue with it. It's just the truth. And everything makes sense. World history makes sense. Science makes sense. Your life story makes sense if Jesus is real. It all makes sense. So whether you're new to Christianity, young person, it's good to be wrestling with these questions. Can I just give you permission and freedom to do that? Sometimes we feel bad asking questions of the faith like, you know, our parents are going to think, oh, no, or somebody's going to you know, gasp that we actually asked a question and, and, and we're Wondering about Jesus, how do I know that he's real? How do I know the resurrection happened? No, this is a good thing. You need to wrestle with your faith. You need to wrestle with the Bible. You need to ask good questions. You need to talk with people about it, not just in your own head. Ask your pastors, ask your elders, ask your mentors, ask your parents. We're not happy with me right now because we get a lot of hard questions after this service. That's good. Parents, if you don't know the answer, say, I don't know. And then try to go find out. Ask someone you trust. But you have to go through that process. Or else it will be shallow faith. It won't be real. And when it gets tested out in the real world, there won't be much there. What do you believe and why do you believe it? Here's the posture. Faith seeking understanding. Faith seeking, I want to believe. I want, I, I want to Lord, show me. Help me understand. God will bless that. God is pleased with that. Number two, second thing Jesus is saying, come as you are. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Jesus wants us to remember there is a call to announce the gospel 
and a call to believe the gospel. So that's, that's essentially it. <laughs> Faith comes by hearing, hearing from the word of Christ. That's essentially what he's saying. Holy Spirit says, come to Jesus. The bride, the universal church says, come to Jesus. And those who hear that message, us, the church, we repeat it. Come to Jesus is our message. You're all mockingbirds. What is he talking about? You're all mockingbirds. You know what a mockingbird does? It hears the songs of other birds and it repeats them over and over and over again. That's a Christian. What we have heard passed down from the apostles and prophets, this word, we just repeat it. It's not my word. It's God's word. It's not our opinion. It's divine revelation. We're just, here it is. Not making this stuff up. Not me. Over and over we say there is life in Jesus. There is hope in Jesus. There is freedom in Jesus. There is meaning in Jesus. There is satisfaction in Jesus. There is forgiveness in Jesus. I mean, we kind of just have one sermon in the end. It's the gospel. We preach the whole counsel of God. We preach the whole Bible without fear, without flinching. But when it comes down to it, we all got one sermon. And we just got to keep saying it and trusting God to do the work. Now, those who hear the gospel are called to believe, to come. Paul calls it the obedience of faith in Romans chapter 1. And it's interesting here, when you look at it close, there's a condition on the response. The one who is thirsty. So not just anybody. The one who is thirsty. The one who desires. Not just anybody, but the one who desires. I think that means that while we proclaim the gospel to everyone freely without bias, we don't pick and choose, only those who recognize their need will come. You only know you want to drink if you know you're thirsty. You don't want to drink unless you know you're thirsty. You only want a Savior if you know you're a sinner. You only want grace if you know that you deserve wrath. During my time in the corporate world, um, I had a coworker who moved from Chicago to our office in Tucson. And um, one day she didn't show up to work. Where is she? Well, she had to go to the ER with severe dehydration. Um, she comes back to work a few days later. We're asking her, you know, what's up? Like, what happened? And she's like, I didn't even know I was thirsty. I, I didn't know I needed to drink water. Where I'm from, we just drink pop and milk and everything's fine. Like, I'm fine. I've always felt fine. But now she wasn't fine. And that had to be revealed to her. She had to be alerted to the fact that she was thirsty. She was dehydrated. And the desert did that to her. You know, Mountain Dew all day is not going to work in Tucson. You're going to get sick. You're going to pass out. And likewise, we need to be alerted 
to the fact that we are thirsty. That we are dehydrated spiritually without Christ. If you, if you haven't met him, you don't know it. And so what we're trying to do is help people know and realize that down deep, I'm empty. Down deep, I'm thirsty. And there's only one fountain that's going to satisfy. Jesus Christ. People come to Jesus when they realize they're thirsty, spiritually thirsty. And usually it's suffering that reveals it to them. You know what I'm talking about? Usually it's suffering. When my way isn't working, when life is not going right, I feel empty. I feel lost. What's going on? It's confusing. Everything was going fine, and now it's not. Suffering just pulls back the curtain on reality. You always need God. You always need God. Suffering just reveals to you what was already true. You just didn't know it. God kindly brings suffering into our lives to help us see, I am thirsty. You always need God. You just think you don't until you suffer, maybe. Maybe. This is why I love funerals. That sounds weird, but not your funerals, you know. Well, maybe a, oh, man, maybe a few, eh. I told Debbie Hollis one time that um, I can't wait to do her funeral. She, she took it the way that I meant it, which was a compliment that I have wonderful things to say from up here. The people in the room who heard me say it were kind of aghast. They didn't take it the same way. It's fine. I like funerals better than weddings because weddings is about life. I mean, it's great, it's fun, but people are listening to the, the preacher and they're like, okay, let's just get to the party. Can you wrap this up? Uh, but a funeral... It's like smelling salts. People are momentarily maybe awake to eternal spiritual things. They might listen to me. They might give me literally 30 seconds where they're open because loss has happened, trial has happened, death has happened, failure has happened. And like, this is why it breaks my heart to hear the gospel not preached at funerals. Oh my goodness. It's like, a casket right here. What are we doing in churches, Protestant churches, not hearing the gospel at a funeral? Because people are willing to give you an ear when they realize, wow, there's a finality to this. Maybe I need to examine my life. Maybe I need to take a step back. For the people in your life, some of the, the moments to be most bold and most ready are when they are suffering. When loss happens, when trial happens, when failure happens, when they lose their job, when they lose someone in their life, when they life doesn't go the way they thought or hoped. This is the moment. They need you most to speak the truth in love, to give them hope. You know, if you're living middle-class American life, nice house, nice job, nice car, nice family, nice person, what does Jesus have to offer that I don't already have? If you're telling me I need to be saved, I need Jesus, well, I mean, life's going pretty good. 
do I really need Jesus? Seems like I'm doing pretty well without him. But when that fails you, and it will, you will lose everything you hold dear in this life. You will. Every one of you. Maybe, maybe I pray by the grace of God, come, those who are thirsty. Come, those who desire things beyond this life, beyond health, beyond wealth, beyond success, eternal things. Come. And I know there are some today who don't know Jesus who are here. I'm telling you, I want to be like the doctor at the ER. You are thirsty. You are empty. You are dehydrated spiritually. You are going to hell. Come. Come. You don't have to do any good works. You don't have to do anything. Look upon Jesus Christ on the cross, died for you in your sins, and believe. And you will be saved. You will be forgiven. As a minister of the gospel, if you believe in Jesus Christ today, I pronounce the forgiveness of your sins in his name. And I don't know what God's doing in your heart, but I hope he's stirring something. I hope he's stirring up something, maybe just a little something. If you feel that, that's from the Lord. Don't wait. Come. Come. Number three, don't mess with the Bible. Verse 18, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. My grandpa always wore a hat that said, don't mess with Texas. I like that hat. I wish I would have got it. Um, That's the way that God feels about his word. Don't mess with it. Don't mess with it. It's fine the way it is. You know what I'm saying? Like We don't have to monkey with it. We don't have to add to it. We don't have to take away from it. And, and I think he's talking about the book of Revelation, but also the whole New Testament, the whole Bible. This is a conditional curse formula. Write that down. <laughs> conditional curse formula, similar to Galatians 1, where Paul says, if anybody, Even an angel shows up in church and is preaching to you a gospel that I didn't preach, not the true gospel. Let God damn them to hell, is what he says. Deuteronomy 4, similar. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God. His commandments, not yours. And this warning, I believe, is aimed at false believers in the church. People who claim to follow Jesus with their words, but with their actions deny him. False profession of faith. Now, some of those people add to God's word. And um, when you add to his word, he will add to you the curses and plagues and suffering in this book. In other words, he will treat you as an unbeliever. It's heavy. People twist Scripture, they add to it for all sorts of reasons, but often you see this playing out, this particular thing, in abusive situations. Um, The Bible is used to justify 
manipulative, controlling, abusive behavior. It's evil. And what people say is they, they hold it up and they say, see, it says right here, 1 Peter 3, submit to your husbands. Often this is what it is, men. Not always. Women do this too, but Abraham, Sarah, Sarah called him Lord and submitted to him. So in other words, you have to do what I say. It's right here in the Bible. I, I, I'm just following God. No, you're following your own flesh, selfishly trying to control and manipulate, and God says, that's evil. Those who use the Bible to justify evil, God will deal with them. And in those cases, it's interesting because you have a proof text, but then you have about two dozen other texts that talk about sacrificial, loving, gentle leadership as a man. Well, we don't want to talk about those. We don't want to go there. Ephesians 5, you know, lay down your life as Christ said for the church. No, 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 you're just supposed to listen to me and do what I say. If that's you, if you're doing that, God will deal with you. This is a promise. And if someone has done that to you, especially you ladies, God will deal with them. God will deal with them. He is not mocked. What you reap, you will sow. There is a God. There is a God. And so you can rest in that. If That evil will be dealt with. You don't have to do it. God will. If our justice system fails or... God is not mocked. We're not talking about a slight difference in interpretation. We're not talking about a minor error in theology. We're talking about twisting Scripture for selfish reasons. And it's confusing because someone says a Bible verse. It's not confusing. It's like, well, there it is, black and white, right there in the Bible. It's confusing. Someone says that to you. And so what I just want to say is if you have that weird feeling like this seems off, this is not lining up with, if I have the Holy Spirit, this is not resting well with my spirit. Don't just believe it. Ask someone. Get help. Go talk to a trusted person who can help you interpret it. Is this what this means? I just have to do whatever they say? It doesn't feel right. And, and come to clarity. Because that may happen in your life. Young people, that may happen. Likewise, if you take away from God's word, God will take away your share of heaven. If you diminish, weaken, water down his word, you will prove yourself an unbeliever and you will not go to heaven. This might be someone who says, I believe in Jesus. Yep, he forgives my sins, but doesn't obey. Doesn't have any interest in changing Talk a good talk, but no action, no repentance. What you're doing is you're taking away from the Word of God. You're stripping away all the commands. All the commands. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm all big on Jesus forgiving me, but I'm not big on walk now as children of God. Imitate God as you walk as beloved children. Oh, three chapters of Ephesians, 4, 5, and 6, out the door. You stripped it away. You took it away. 
This might be someone who twists and waters down the hard sayings of Scripture so that all you're left with is Jesus wants you to have your best life now. Jesus just wants to bless you, make you healthy, make you prosperous, make you successful. That's idolatry, by the way, is exactly what it is. I don't watch cable TV anymore, but I I was stuck in a hotel last week, and I didn't sleep in the airport, confession. Uh, I was in a hotel, uh, but I was watching some baseball, and I caught an interesting commercial from our friend Joel Osteen, um, hawking his new site, 3minuteboost.com. Essentially, the message is, God wants to make you successful. God wants you to reach your potential, and in just three minutes, I can give you a boost. God's here to give you a boost. He's not here to to slay you in your sin and raise you back to life. He's not here to do resurrection. He's not here to do anything other than make you successful in this earthly life. You're taking away from God's Word. He's he's taking away from God's Word. And, And again, it's like it's hard to discern sometimes because he's quoting the Bible. It's a church. He, uh, he has white teeth. I mean, maybe I should believe him. Mm. Satan comes as a... Mm-hmm. To all those who reduce God's holy word to that, to cotton candy, to those who teach it or believe it, Jesus warns you, you are going to hell. I just, I mean, I have to say it that bluntly. You profess to worship Jesus, but you don't. You don't. You worship money. You worship comfort, success, and you will reap what you sow. This is why, guys, Bible study matters. This is why how we interpret Scripture with Scripture matters. This is why what you read matters. This is why reading the Bible in community matters. This local church community, the broader church community, all the saints, men and women who have given their lives to study the word in careful and thoughtful ways. Are you reading them? Are you you reading the, the Bible alongside other people? Or are you mainly doing it alone? That is not healthy. If you're just in your own head all the time, even if it's the Bible, not healthy, not good. It was always meant to be read in community. It's always meant to be sharpening each other, asking questions, curious. What does this mean? What do you think this means? Let's read it together. Let's let's open the Word together. Let's let's reason together. If you're at home alone, only reading your Bible, and you never talk about it with anybody else, that is not healthy. You will not stay in a good, healthy, spiritual place. You will not interpret the Word rightly. It's a communal book. We need each other. Not all in my head. So that's a challenge. If you're not doing that, to start doing that. Finding opportunities, whether it's with your spouse, your kids, other believers, whatever it is. Now, qualification. Jesus is not warning that you can lose your salvation. I know you read this, it sounds that way. But we know, again, this is why how we interpret Scripture matters. We know from other scripture that can't be true. 
Otherwise, God's word would be con- contradicting itself. John 10, no one can snatch you out of my hand. Philippians 1, I will surely finish the good work I began in you. First John, the whole book, so that you may know you have salvation. Jesus is warning that if you twist Scripture in order to fulfill your idolatry, you never had salvation. You never were a Christian. You are deceived, and you stand cursed. I hope you repent. I hope you come into the light. But these charges are not for those mainly out there. They are for those in here. So we need to hear them as such. Number four, lastly, he is coming soon. Emphasis on the soon. (laughs) Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Now, it's just interesting. He doesn't say I'm just coming. I'm coming soon. Amen. John responds, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. So this is the aftertaste Jesus wants lingering in our mouth after we finish Revelation. Like you drink a glass of wine and you have, you know, notes of cherry and oak and whatever is in wine. And it's like, oh, that's a nice aftertaste. This is what the aftertaste is supposed to be. He's coming soon. No one knows when. Stop trying to figure it out, people. Gosh, stop trying to figure it out. Just be ready. Don't be caught napping. Don't invest your life into this world so that you're not ready for the next world. That's the point. Growing up, I went to a lot of swim meets. My brother was a swimmer all the way through college. Um, And I remember at the beginning of the race, swimmers are all on the blocks, and they lean over, and they put their hands on the block, and they're in this ready position. And there's a tension that you feel. When is the horn going to sound where they spring off the blocks? And sometimes you're waiting. Like there must be no standard rule for how long you're supposed to wait there because sometimes it would be literally like 20, 25 seconds. They're just there, ready. And sometimes it's really fast. It's like three seconds. That's the posture of us as Christians. We are ready. We're on the blocks. Jesus could return today. We don't know when that trumpet's going to sound. We don't know when it's going to go off, but we're ready. We're in position. And it might be a while. We don't know. But we're ready to meet him. We're ready to be caught up in the air with him. We're prepared. That's the posture, not sleeping. Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night. Okay? Blessed is the one who stands ready at the door. He's ready to meet him. That's the message of the book. So we, co- we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. And we say to each other, be ready. He's coming soon. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, this beautiful wonderful, difficult, challenging, scary book. And Lord, it's only scary (laughs) to those who deny you, those who rebel against you, those who even claim your name 
but their hearts are far from you. And so we pray you would let it do its work in us, not just today, but for the rest of our lives, that we would not be, we would not put this book on the shelf. We would not avoid it, but we would go to it for hope and health and encouragement for our souls. And I pray that this season of study would not be wasted, and I don't believe it will, because your word never comes back void. Help us to respond now, and as we go into our week, um, to be filled with hope, filled with confidence, our spirits a little bit lighter. In Jesus' name.